supersonic. 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 Welcome to Supersonic Hospitality Marketing with me, Mark McSee, where we meet the most interesting people in hospitality, marketing, business, and beyond to hear tips, tricks, and tales to help your brand boom. This podcast is sponsored by Vita Mojo, the all-in-one restaurant management platform helping operators grow ATV, reduce tech complexity, and serve guests better. And now, here's a quick word from our sponsors. Vita Mojo is proud to be the headline sponsor of the Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Vita Mojo transforms chaos into confidence for hospitality operators worldwide, empowering brands to streamline order management and take control of their business. With its flexible end to end order management system, Vita Mojo gives you one central place to manage your menu across every channel, brand, and location. But Vita Mojo is much more than an out of the box software solution. The Vita Mojo team are with you every step of the way, providing the partnership you need, the technology you want, and the experience your guests deserve, all in one place. Vita Mojo will help you adapt to whatever the world throws at your hospitality business. For more information, visit vitamojo.com slash supersonic. Want to be recognised as one of the most innovative and best performing brands in our sector? I'm James Haken, the founder of Restaurant Marketer and Innovator, and here to tell you it's your time to shine. Our 2024 awards are open for entry with 13 categories. Join the likes of Brewdog, McDonald's, Turtle Bay, Box Park, Fuller's, Grind, Gales and Rick Stein restaurants who have all picked up wins in recent years. Visit restaurantinnovator.com to find out more information and apply. So I'm coming up to my anniversary of eight years in the beautiful place that is Brighton and I'm quite sad that I miss my time, and you'll maybe laugh at this, my time in Milton Keynes. I know it gets a bad rap, but it was a fantastic place for us to live in and bring up the wee one for a short time. And lots of great friends and family, great hospitality all around the Milton Keynes area and the villages and the village pubs and all the rest of it. And one of my favourites was the Black Horse in Woburn. Many, many special occasions celebrated in there, including finding out the sex of the wee one that we were about to have and other things like celebrations for Christmas, New Year, anniversaries, engagements, all these different things. And the people behind the Black Horse were, of course, Peach Pubs. And today we're lucky enough to have Hamie Stoddard on the podcast, who is a co-founder of Peach Pubs and also the founder and MD of the Afterclouds Foundation. And he's also joining the race to net zero. So he's leading the charge there to see how all of us in hospitality can really focus on getting to that net zero as quickly as we possibly can. The chat with Hamish is fun. It's always fun to talk to him. He's had a wide and varied career and he's also really global in his thinking as well from all the travels that he's had and also special interest in Africa and looking after people there too. And it's really interesting to move the conversation from founding businesses and early career 
which was really more business, commercial and entrepreneurial, to then moving across now to this new stage, which is all about philanthropy and what Hamish can do to make the world better. So it gives me the most peachy pioneer pleasure ever to introduce my next guest, who is, and you'll know him already probably, Hamish Stoddart, who's co-founder of Peach Pubs and founder MD of After Clouds Foundation. Hello. Hi, how are you? Is there, is there any more to add to that list? Uh, no, no, not now. <laughs> International man of mystery. Yeah, all of that. <laughs> all that. So where are you today? Are you over in Oxford? Uh, yeah, I live it up in near near Bister Banbury, so Soho Farmhouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hospitality reference. Yeah, we had, we had a nice we had a nice meeting there actually um, a while back. But then you had to rush off for a meeting, and they were a bit iffy about me hanging about because I wasn't a member at the time. And then <laughs> it took about an hour and something for a cab to arrive. So I was just sitting like this, like latchkey kid at reception going, ah, get me out of here. <laughs> so yeah, so that was it. And uh, you're just back from holidays? Uh, yeah, I've been uh, out in Menorca for a month, which has been lovely. Great. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. Well, funnily enough, I took five weeks there. So um, I think uh, just, you know, COVID, after effects, you know, all these things. Yeah. And Hospitality Rising was pretty stressful as you can imagine um and all these things and i just thought yeah i'm going to take a proper holiday because i think people like you and people like me we take yeah. holiday but we don't yeah yeah you know yeah, so to yeah, actually no, the take brain doesn't stop out, <laughs> yeah definitely yeah and also i think i've got a major pro i don't know how you feel about this in fact you'll maybe be worse because the nature of the businesses you've been involved in which is like i don't even know how to weekend no i think I think most entrepreneurs would say they don't stop. Yeah. And particularly, I'm, I work with my wife. That was, you know, we never planned it. Yeah. Um, but the uh, rather extraordinary posh wallpaper behind is <laughs> she, <laughs> she's a extraordinary designer now. <laughs> uh, so uh, um, we just, yeah, we didn't stop for, it's 21 years since we started Peach. Yeah. So, it's a long time, and you you do need a rest, I think. Yeah. Well, we will come I'm on to Peach. Reset, yeah. We, oh, well, that's that's great and well deserved, by the way. And we will come on to Peach. But you know, the thing I would say about Peach really was, it, well, maybe still is, but at the time it was just a trailblazer. Like I'd never seen hospitality like it, food like it, staff like it. You know, and and you know, I was lucky enough to live close to two of them. Um, and we, we just thoroughly enjoyed it. But anyway, we'll get to that. So just going back then in time, um, just really tell us about how you ended up here because you didn't have your usual route to fall into hospitality, you know. So it'd be good to go back to, you know, no, studying I, at Cambridge and all that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I never imagined I was going to be a hospitality person. I'm very glad I am. Uh, but I was... Uh, sent away at school at seven to a boarding school that sort of uh, start to life then uh, ended up uh, going to cambridge with a gap year and the gap year rather changed things because uh, i went away to sri lanka and i was involved in i saw the tamil tigers um start up their wow. their civil war there and saw death and 
um, stuff. And that sort of changed me slightly. And I arrived at Cambridge, having been one of the best mathematicians at my school, etc. you know, very good one. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't do maths anymore. So really? I, I started doing other things. So I played a lot of sports, played, ended up playing sport for the university in, in some wacky minor sport called vibes and, uh, uh, being treasurer to the bar, mm -hmm. becoming a bit more social than I was as a sort of a rather, uh, um, yeah, I think I was quite a dull school kid, mm -hmm. you know, a bit, bit, bit straight. And uh, by Cambridge, I couldn't, my brain had changed and I couldn't do anything but uh, sort of get involved in social stuff and get out there. I ended up doing very little work, as a lot of university people do. Yeah. Uh, and lots of sport, lots of fun, and came out and went on to be an accountant to sort of give myself something, I guess, because yeah. I've done so little work at uni. <laughs> uh, and then did another job. Um, and so I think, yeah, I'm bored. Um, the going away to school very early changed me. The Sri Lanka stuff changed me. And then... Cambridge just gave me the sort of confidence to be a bit more uh, outgoing and social. And I think that is the foundation of the reason why I ended up being um, good at hospitality. So the, the jump from then working as an accountant to then your first foray into hospitality, what, you know, did peach pubs start straight away or you, you did a few things no, before? No, I, I worked for one bunch of, um, a lover of Africa. So I worked for a, an African investment firm called Lonro, mm -hmm. that was a listed company for a few years. And then I joined my family firm, which was in food. It was, but it was food logistics to the pub industry and the hotel industry. And we were, ultimately we became part of Breaks. And it was quite a, it was a hundred years old, this family company. Um, so a big part of my family's history uh it was privately owned it was uh beautifully run as a family business by my dad and my uncle and we were when i joined we were about 400 people and we ended up being 1200 people when we sold it in 2000 um and uh, i had a you know, reason i wasn't the leader by any means but i was on the board and doing leading parts of the business mm -hmm. in that period and what did you learn there about food logistics and all that stuff that then helped with your future businesses? Well, uh, hospitality thick people think they work hard. I think <laughs> food logistics is harder. Yep. Honestly, it was really hard. Mm -hmm. The margins are so tight and the demand to get it right first time for chefs is unbelievable. And in those times, you didn't have as much um technology as we have now to to make sure that the orders come right so you had to learn how to get a hot team of people getting it right first time and arriving on time to chef xyz um and keep trying to keep them happy and and it was hard really hard i mean i i you know, nearly broke myself a couple of times in that business because it was 24 7 again you were delivering most days uh you were filling the warehouse during the day and emptying it at night, delivering them, delivering in the trucks in the early morning. Yeah. Just continuous. It's so, quite overwhelming, you know, and, and the way that you're talking about it, it's so, 
soul destroying to fill up the warehouse and then empty it straight away. It must be like, oh God, can I just have a day, one day off? <laughs> That's what chefs do, isn't it? That's what happens in the kitchen. It's, it's only true. a three-day cycle. Yeah, but yeah. That, that's what we did too. And, and people don't really understand it until you've actually seen one of these big warehouses churning away. Well, that, that's, it's interesting you say that. I had David Reed from Prestige Purchasing yeah. on uh, the other week, and we were talking about this, and I was saying definitely for every marketer to go out and understand the logistics yeah. side of things because when I was at Pret, they were so great at getting you out to Reynolds and all the rest of it. And when you saw there was a 24-hour team that mm. saw themselves as the Pret team, driving forklifts, having their own... Yeah email addresses, you know, the whole yeah. thing, you know, one, one chap's job was just to uh, measure the pressure of avocados. Yeah. It was just it's, like insane. And I, I think so many business people and certainly marketers just don't even understand how the food gets there. No, and the whole supply chain, which when we come on to sustainability and food ethics later mm -hmm. on, the whole supply chain, understanding that is really key to how we're going to be able to improve things over time. Because if you don't understand it, you just you're just sort of shouting at the suppliers saying change. They can't just yeah. change. It's not possible. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I learned at Ken Brown was uh, the value of balancing people and profit. It was a very it was a um, you know a company formed many, many years ago. The profit demands weren't like private equity or listed companies. It was, we were doing it. We were there for the people. There were many, many families working in the business. And I, and we supported the local schools and the, did all the, uh, lots of social stuff. And creating that balance had been achieved by my dad and my uncle. Um, and it was wonderful to see that the, the loyalty and the, um, the impact you could have by being a long-term business by not chasing just profit. Um, uh, and I think I took that away. One of, the other thing we did is we rebranded. We, 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 yeah, we rebranded with one of the best brand consultants in the world who taught me culture and brand are the same thing mm -hmm. as long as you make them the same thing. For sure. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, uh, and so I learned that. And those are probably the, and obviously, you, know, you learn to manage people. Yeah. Um, and inch 500 people so that that was pretty big impact on um what a you know peach and stuff later on and what how would you sum that up in terms of leadership you know what because i always think about <clears throat> various leaders across my uh you know my career so far and the people like robin Rowland, for example who was always out in front of the people, you know, doing the road shows, you know, doing all that kind of thing. Other leaders sit back a bit and I've got other people doing it. I mean, what, what was your sort of style doing that? How, how did you manage 500 people? Um, at Cairns and Brown, you, you definitely did it through people because the, in order to talk, communicating to different uh, areas of the business was actually hard. Talking to drivers, you'd only get them in reality at 4 a.m. in the morning. Mm -hmm. They were a bit sleepy. They yeah. really didn't want to have a conversation with you. And if you didn't, if you had a posh voice like mine, I wasn't able to uh, do a rallying rally cry like you can in a hospitality pub. That's why pubs are wonderful. It's a small team and you can talk to them. Um, in Cancer Brown, 
a lot harder. So you had you you had not not harder for everyone, but harder for me to impact in the I suppose in the way I would like to. Um, in Peach, it was pub by pub sometimes in big groups sometimes and sometimes let others do it because their voice is more relevant you know definitely more relevant than mine in terms of service no one believed i could serve a plate of food <laughs> why is that right, they specifically told me i couldn't why because <laughs> i very proved very early on my head doesn't work for taking orders right i could not get it right mm -hmm. and when i went into the kitchen really early on i was told no that's the third time you got it wrong today hamish yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're on the today, bench. try again tomorrow and i tried and i couldn't yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I, my head was whirring on how to communicate better with the guest or how to how to make their experience better it wasn't whirring with yeah, <laughs> yeah. diet code i just <laughs> I would fuck, excuse my language fuck that up every time <laughs> just go and help yourself to whatever crack one <laughs> and then so peach pubs then came about how, how i mean was it you had the idea bubbling for a while an opportunity came along no i to be honest i i just wanted to go and do a world-class service business didn't mention mm -hmm. pubs or restaurants it was a service business to do with people uh, I started another one at the same time, which went bust and met Lee Cash, who was trying to found a uh, pub company or a uh, bistro company. Um, and we ended up saying it was going to be a gastro pub company, going to pubcos and getting their buildings. Now that I was involved with him doing the business plan together, he was definitely the hospitality uh, service expert. But I knew so much from both, a, you know, accountancy, finance, I'd done corporate finance in the city, and then I'd done food logistics. So I knew everything else he didn't know. Um, and then Joe, my wife, sat alongside us and told us we were talking bollocks. And straightened <laughs> <down. laughs> she would. <laughs> I made it all make sense. <laughs> uh, so the, it was the three of us that was the uh, remarkable combination. And Joe ended up being the product of Peach um, with the, both the design and the food and the wine. Um, so the food and drink and design. And I looked after people systems, financial systems, training, all the center stuff. And Lee looked after service, making it come alive in the building. Yeah. And uh, the combination was, was as you said, it said oh. uh, it, was, it was a bit extraordinary. Um, uh, and then we had some very good people with shared ownership. So we, we, we allowed a lot of people to come in with a lot, not a lot of people, but uh, about eight people, I think, had shares in the company as operators. They were just, they were GMs who wanted to do their own thing, but we gave them a structure within which to do it. Yeah. I mean, it was just phenomenal. And just to give people an example, um, I was lucky enough to work with you guys a few times and we were agency for a bit and all that. And there was one instance, right? And this is the attention to detail and it isn't being a difficult customer. It's being a very sure customer. And I remember we were doing your logo at Peach and, and the fonts to go with it. And I'm not joking when I say we sat with 
Joe, I think, for because I think you sat in for a bit and then you were like, I can't do any more of this and went. <laughs> and then Well, I we I think we did over a hundred different fonts and styles. And but as I say, we were quite into it. Do you know, like some people you'd be like, oh, whatever. But because we knew you gave a crap so much, you know, it was so important to get it right. And it was a very good brief, which was you know, when it's an investor's pack or it's up there for an award, we want our logo to look yeah. great. Um, and that that was a really clear brief, but it was just that attention to detail. It gave me, well, I had respect anyway for Joe, but when that day I was like, this is not mucking around here, you know, at all. This is big stuff, you know, big brand stuff, you know. Yeah, and, and we... We all, well, we sort of, we knew how to do it. I think we all had experience, but what you need in a team is that balance of someone with perfectionism, which Joe definitely has that mm. follow through desire to get it right and solid. And then, uh, people with different skills that can actually, um, inform how you do it, how you do it and how you pull it together. So there's lots of things that need to happen for a business to work um and be successful it, it's it's a great deal of luck yeah um and a great deal of um what you were talking about working every day at it never letting it go yeah um so um, and then get, gathering the right team yeah well there's a couple of things that you know and i guess isn't to blow smoke at all but you were you were first quite a lot in in a lot of things um that then I stole with pride um, for, you know, other clients or examples or speeches yeah. or whatever. So some yeah. of the things I talk about are, one, um, you just really being hot on notes of when people were dining with you that then created an action. So an example being, it was our anniversary one time, and you know this yourself, yeah. but, um, you know, Sam coming over with a bottle of Prosecco or champagne, and, you know, and just making it special. And it was just like, my God. The second thing was you having a belief system as your central brand DNA mm. and actually being quite proud to talk about you being a group because so many companies shy away from it. Yeah. But it was such a lovely thing that you put what it stood for. There was always a nice story at the top of the, the menu. And also like the old crisp packets back in the day, have you tried other flavors? You shamelessly yeah. would put at the bottom, have you tried our other places? And so that became a mark of quality and it was such a good trick to pull off. But the one I always talk about, I still talk about today when I do my local marketing things, we were in the Black Horse in Woburn one time and it was Sunday lunch. You were there a lot. I was there a lot. <laughs> 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 yeah. Did I get shares? No. Um, so, so basically um, it was Sunday lunch and you had extra staff on and extra veg, extra Yorkshire puns, extra gravy. The cost of that is not much. The sort of perceived value of that for customers is like off the charts. And, you know, I still go on about it today, but people just aren't switched on to the customer enough. You know, it's kind of what's going to make the GP, what's going to do this, how little staff can have, da, 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 da. but you went the other way, you know, which was quite incredible. And I think we all, that, that came from Lee. I think he was very good at reading what excited people in. And then, then you, then what we did is we worked out what, what we could afford to do mm. that was, that was easy and fun and created a really good dynamic between 
guest and team because that's what you really want is you want the chat going on yeah. so that they come back again yeah. so yeah no we, there was we we did a few we, we kept trying doing things sausage o'clock you you bet you i'm glad you don't have a i'm glad you don't have a pub down in brighton that'd be a very different thing but um but what i was thinking was um again the other thing you were first for was actually naming suppliers on your menu with aubrey really? allen you think so just just one of the first that came across my radar you know, and this is long before fillers were doing it with outings and all the rest yeah. of it. I mean, this was 15 plus years ago. And when you were, or maybe not as long as that, but it certainly was before. And as a marketer, obviously, I'm going out to dine, but I'm yeah. still getting my marketing head on. And I'm like, I haven't seen that like willy nilly, hardly anywhere. And you having that alliance with Aubrey Allen was such yeah. a big deal. And talking about the deer park and, you know, all these things was, was so strong. Yeah. when you did no, that we were, we were aubrey's were are an extraordinary catering business they're really really good for anyone who hasn't come across them aubrey allen um and they it was just because we were deeply in love with their um their supply chain how they did it they didn't have one farm they didn't actually believe that it was possible to do quality beef out of one farm or out of one location so they stopped and then, then they said, "Would you name us?" And we, we went, "Well, yeah, we believe in you. We're, yeah. we're prepared to name you." So it's a really good alliance of those two businesses. But I, we actually think we were really slow to the party of name, of doing provenance yep. because yep. for many, many years we didn't bother putting free range egg on or whatever, whatever the. Um, the stuff you'd put on the menus now is because we just thought our food will shout that mm -hmm. it, it will be obvious and so we we kept the menu wording really simple for a very long time and probably aubrey's was the first time we we started playing with it and started then going to you know naming where the fish was coming from or the shellfish or the chicken or the whatever yeah <laughs> I, th I thought it was a, i thought it was a really smart move and as i say just i hadn't seen it readily you know, and then it just spoke volumes about what you were doing. But back at Peach as well, a couple more things. You really had great teams and you ha you were seen as a great employer. How did that come about? Because that doesn't come about by accident. You know, what? how did you find the right people and how did you train them to, to think in a peachy way? I, I think you start the other way. I, I think you start with a commitment yourselves to... Uh, have a, a value set that includes how you treat your people, mm -hmm. how you're going to bring them on and educate and care for them at the very beginning in your heart. And we were, you know, I, I was, if I suppose it came from my understanding of how to build a culture, build a brand, build an, a great service business is we, we put that in our DNA, not day one, because you can't, you, you're running around like lunatics and yeah, yeah. Pub two. But but from pub two, we had the meeting before we started pub three and we wrote it down and we meant it at the time and we built a set of values that expressed how we treated our team, how we educated them and how we shared as much as we possibly could with them. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't, 
in our view, possible to do a fully employee-owned business in a very fast rotating trade like hospitality, but we could share with a lot of the people at the top in various different ways, you know, either through equity or through big fat bonus schemes. Yeah. Um, and then the only last thing I was, I was last couple of things I was going to talk to you about on, on Peach was strong ethics, strong sustainability views, you know, from the start. At that point, were you starting to think about the world, the global issues, you know, the sustainability side of things? Because like, that would have been quite early, you know, for a lot yeah, of businesses no, to be thinking about. It was very early, but not early for me, interestingly, because I came from the food supply chain, which wasn't really thinking this at all, because we, we I knew how difficult it was to do individual things to, in, to a group of restaurants. Um, but Lee and Joe from day one said, as they sort of sampled the first menu, Lee said, right, well, we're not doing uh, uh, ordinary eggs. We'll only do free range eggs. And from day one, and when we did it in that, in that first menu tasting, saying, and we will sack anyone who tries to avoid this. Whoa. And we made that really clear. If if they failed on buying free range eggs and they went to co op, they had to buy the right fucking excuse my language. <laughs> yeah, because it, if they didn't, the whole thing could fall apart in the local supply and the and the messing around when things went wrong. Um, so free range eggs, and then uh, Lee was uh, said then chickens as well. Free range chickens immediately. He'd been to a chicken farm and seen some horrible things in in you know normal uh, battery chickens um and so and aubrey's then taught us about meat ethics mm -hmm. uh, and gradually and then we went okay well seasonal so that means don't fly stuff so uh in spite of the fact my farm in kenya was growing green beans we wouldn't have green beans that were flown from kenya so for 10 years we were just doing um it was fairly simple. We did happy pigs, happy chickens, happy sh happy sheep, and seasonal fruit and veg. And then uh, we had this moment where we got to five pubs. Actually, we got to five pubs only after five years. And Lee and Joe both bought Porsches, and we wound them up and talked about their ethics. And they both decided they would buy a forest uh, together. Um, on the farm that I was helping out in Africa. Um, and I suppose that was the moment when we started committing to do things even wider and bigger for the planet. Um, and by 2010, 12, sort of 10 years in, we were then starting to actually write down what our promises were in terms of sustainability. And, and you'll see on the Peach website now, um, there is, you know, active commitments about all areas of planet um, and people. And uh, so it's a full program. And we got there over time. And the, the, the big thing is it's real in Peach. It's not, it isn't a tick box. Mm -hmm. People really feel it, I suppose. Give me an example of that. They'll, they'll still be going through things every day now, I imagine. But uh, as in the last year, before I left, we had to decide whether our best-selling starter, shell, um, scallops, was going to stay on the menu or had to go because the scallops we were using 
were the best we could find, but they weren't. They were still scraping the bottom of the ocean of the sea mm-hmm. and uh, destroying seabed. And uh, we weren't convinced that they were the right thing to do, and so we moved to um, prawns and crab and stuff. And then you find other problems in prawns and crab. You yeah, know, yeah. It, it's just continuous. In yeah, yeah. one of the most difficult areas. Um, but we were at that point. That was that was sales and profit. We were giving up to do the right thing. Hi. Here's a quick message for all hospitality operators who want to reward, recognize, and retain their brilliant teams. I want to introduce you to my new friends at Grateful. Grateful is a revolutionary cashless tipping and trunk platform disrupting tipping all across hospitality. Grateful's mission is to help create a more grateful world for hospitality teams by building the best tipping platform out there that is truly built around your business as Grateful understands just how unique your business and team are. So if you're a restaurant, hotel, bar or cafe, and no matter if you're a national chain or just a single site, Grateful simplifies Trunk for you by using their tech know-how to provide 100% transparency for your teams. Grateful streamlines your operational overheads through API integrations into your EPOS, Rota, Payroll and more that takes the headache of handling tipping away for you and your teams. Grateful are a fast-growing, ambitious team that are fanatical about customer service and are always striving to do the right thing for you. With the new legislation just around the corner, it would be worth chatting to Mason and the team at Grateful to see how you can modernise your tipping for a happier team and a happier business. To find out more, please visit Grateful.com. That's G-R-T-F-L dot com. That's G-R-T-F-L dot com now. A creative agency for the hospitality sector, Saved by Robots create compelling brands and memorable experiences through great design and engaging storytelling. From Scottish Restaurant of the Year Sugar Boat to Tip Jar, the digital tipping platform that's taken over the world, Saved by Robots excel at bringing ideas to life. As well as developing new concepts and refreshing existing brands, the robots provide outsourced graphic design to help multi-site operators grow with confidence. Check out their work and get in touch at savedbyrobots.com. And did you have a favourite peach pub? Yes, I did. Can you say? Well, I have three. No, I have two. One is the fleece where I put my first pint. Because as Mm -hmm. I said, I wasn't a hospitality guy. Literally put my first pint at the age of 37 at the fleece on the day it started. And I was... A joint GM with um, Lee's sister, as it happens. Um, and then uh, the other one is the Thatch in Tame, which Thatch in Tame is just knockout, standout every day in food and drink. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe would say uh, the High Field, where she set up, she did full on uh, boutique hotel next to a sort of pretty smart gastropub. Yeah. So there's lots of, they're all slightly different. So there's lots of, Reasons why one pulls on your heart. What's to choose from? And then in terms of the sale and all that stuff, um, what was your experiences in that? Um, 
I think because of the nature of the shareholding between Lee and myself, and there were a few others in, it was inevitable we would sell. Um, by the end, Lee wasn't working full time in the business, and Joe and I were. And I think maybe we would have carried on if it was just us, and we could have worked our way through. But we couldn't. We couldn't do that. Um, so we committed to sell probably five years ago, and we tried. You know, if you read the press, you'll find out you, we've tried a couple of times. Um, you just got to be really ready for it. Mm-hmm. You've got to be really clear what you're trying to get out of it personally. Um, for your family and you've got to be strong enough as a business to go through basically running the business even stronger than you ever had before and running a sale process and that is takes a lot of uh, hard work and thinking through and in our case we needed a a strong team in the center so i i was always committed to building up a strong team in the center so that anyone who grabbed peach would want to carry it on um as they have Nice. And there's going to be a lot of M&A action, I would have thought, <laughs> over the next uh, little while. Any tips for anyone selling anything more than what you've said? Any other thoughts? Prepare hard. Know what you stand for. And and really research the potential buyers. Mm-hmm. Because the potential buyers aren't always potential buyers this year. Yeah. And, and, and wasting your time on casting your net really wide is is not normally the right thing to do you you need to be you need to find the people who really might buy you this year or the year you wish to sell because you can't just hang it out every year i don't think i I think that's the wrong thing to do definitely and i think the other thing just on what you were saying having a strong bulletproof rather than waterproof brand dna that you had i think that's just so attractive to a buyer when you've got a shorthand of what this whole thing is about and that making life peachy central thought just thought was unbelievable. And also it just gives every single person in the business, even if English isn't their first language, a simple shorthand to know what good looks like. You know, yeah. they haven't brought you your cutlery. They've said, oh, you can go and get the sauces yourself. Is that peachy? No. Mm. You know, and it just goes through everything, doesn't it? Yeah. And that, that was, I suppose, yeah, I, I know what good looks like in brand and culture and, and relatively few people do mm-hmm. in truth. Mm-hmm. And so, so working out a way to do that and then having the time to do it in your own business, you have the time. There was no, um, PE pressure on me to, uh, on us to sell in any particular year. So you could build this thing that was really solid and we did. It was really, it was lovely to do. Um, so yeah, just build it. Build it solidly. Yeah. And, and for the team, you know, even now the team will not talk about Hamish. They'll talk about Peach. Mm-hmm. That is, that's what, how it should be, surely. Otherwise you have to die in the business or, or you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you've got, you've got to live on. That's got to live on. Right. Well, so let's say uh, hop on a carbon neutral flight um, to <laughs> Africa. Um, so before we get into the After Clouds Foundation stuff, you mentioned earlier, you had a real interest in Africa. Where did that come from? Um, I had an aunt who moved out to the Mara with four kids. Uh, she was 32. And she moved her kids into a tent in the Mara when I was 16 or 14. 14, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And we went to visit her for Christmas on the, my, as I was 15. And I saw the Mara 
and we shot whatever a buck for Christmas dinner. You wouldn't be allowed to do it now, um, but at that time, you literally the the plains were teeming with wildlife, and you you it was perfectly fine to shoot shoot something for dinner. Um, and uh, I've been going ever since. Just loved it. Done all sorts of travelling out there. And when did the Afterclouds Foundation start then? Well, uh, in Peach, we created Peach Foundation, and that was, uh, I think we we founded it when we were doing this forest way back when. Um, and then we did various uh, trips to Africa, a hippo fence, and a, eventually a herd of cows called the Peach Herd or Herds for Growth. Um, and they, uh, the Peach Foundation was our vehicle for separating off the, the good works that Peach did from the commercial activities and making sure we had the money separate and all of that. So when Peach, um, when we sold Peach, um, I said, can I have a Peach Foundation, please? Because that was really me trying to do good stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, they said, yeah, fine. On you go. So, so it's, it's had a lot of history in it uh, from Peach and including doing uh, Your Hub during the COVID times, we did a lot. It's fantastic. Lot that was fantastic, by the way. As a, as a separate organization. Yeah. It does have real history. Um, and now we're use, I'm using it for two things. One, it's it's been doing industry collaborations called um, Race to Net Zero has been the latest. And uh, then it also, I, the Herds for Growth is carrying on in Kenya and I'm hoping to join those up in some way sometime don't know how yeah well if anyone's going to figure it out it's you <laughs> <laughs> and how often do you get over there i go three times a year roughly um uh i'm a shareholder in a in a safari lodge out there um which and a and in another business a, a surveying business so i go out to see my cousins who are now those kids grown up um and to help them in any way I can. Um, and, and because it's a hospitality business, actually, I can bring really relevant experience to both uh, how to raise money in the UK or whatever, but also how to get guests in, what 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 premium experience in hospitality looks like in the UK versus, versus um, in a safari lodge. And have you got sort of future plans of other notable projects you would want to get out I'm, there get going i'm i'm thinking about one at the moment i don't i don't think it's appropriate to say it's there but yeah watch this space okay. uh, i would like to do uh industry collaborations to create more knowledge in the teams of, of working in hospitality and more enthusiasm in the teams in hospitality for people and planet mm -hmm. um, work or working with purpose-led businesses so it'll be in that space, whether it's a, a conference or a education platform or a, uh, or just a group of people promoting um, purpose-led businesses. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of letting karma take me at the moment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think, uh, you know, there's so many wonderful things being done by yourself as well, Mark, in, in making the industry collaborate. We just need to find ways of, making the teams want to be with us mm. and I think being excellent in in uh, purpose-led stuff sustainability and uh and, and social initiatives 
is one of the most brilliant ways we can as an industry hold on to people and gather people in. Definitely. Um, I mean, just looking at some of the research we've been sort of doing over the last couple of years with Hospitality Horizon, one of them is for Gen Z and uh, lower millennials. Um, one of the number one things that they want to do is work for businesses with purpose and that will create legacy. Yeah. So, you know, it feels like that's an open door to push on. It's actually the leaders of the businesses that will hold it back rather than the teams. And the investors. And the, investors. the challenge is the investors and the leaders are, are not yet at the point where they wholeheartedly believe that marrying up people, profit, people, planet and profit, hmm. uh, will work for them. Mm -hmm. And I fundamentally believe that it will have to be that way in the future. And eventually legislation and governments and investors will be forced to go in that direction. And the, yeah. the leaders will have emerged already. And I hope to be associated with companies uh, that actually get on and lead this. Are, uh, are you working with, or do you see anyone out there at the moment that you feel has got it is there anyone in hospitality that is leading the way right now i think hawksmoor are the one that's you know for a meat company a meat yeah. restaurant uh they their thinking is stronger and more powerful than most um there are some brilliant examples there are there are lots of little examples but mm. the ones that probably affecting more i'm working with punch pubs yeah. and they're you know that it's a challenge because we've got to marry the the investors appetite for uh um appetite that's the wrong word the investors understanding of how profit can be created through initiatives in the csr zone yeah and uh, i don't believe that is always that easy to do and whether people and, and people just don't trust it quite enough to to step forward and invest um is, is there a lot is there a little bit of not on my watch kind of thing like i'll be dead by then is there a bit of that i'll be i'll be out i've got 10 years to go i don't really care is it is that some of the thinking yeah. or not really well no um, no you um, well if you understand the investor cycle is normally three to five years three to seven years whatever it is um and that fits with the leader's employment cycle yeah um often although they might be crossing over and whatever but that time period of three to seven years is just a bit too short mm for someone to invest in um a i'm, I'm gonna say solar panel blah blah but you know any piece of kit that is going to work over 10 to 15 years right. is actually going to reduce net zero i don't think it's not on my watch it's i can't make this work yeah I, and and I, I think it'd be wrong to say that every investor everything is saying not on my watch they're just no. saying show me show me the ones that do work yeah is what they're saying now so and we should and, and uh, you know i hope that the the pressure now that everyone can see it coming will actually give you the investment opportunities that are shorter term and hopefully the financing special financing needs to be in place so that it's a little bit easier for the independents to step in as well as i mean it's so funny i mean we've seen it with uh, hospitality rising as well like just some of the bigger companies are absolute juggernauts and you can't get them to turn you know it's like a huge oil tanker um but then conversely i sit in an awful lot of meetings it's the same chat every time we want to be as good as Hawksmoor. we want to be as good as the yeah, we want to yeah. be as good as people yeah. what do they do well funnily enough they're yeah. doing all the right things 
And sometimes there's not an ROI with it, but they're just they just instinctively know there's a bunch of right things you should be doing. So and that's yeah. that's the trust. I think that comes from being a long term, you know, that's that's me, that's well, that, that's all these leaders in those businesses know that it will pay off. They don't know when, but they know they're getting more loyalty from their team. And I think the fundamental thing is you can feel it in a smaller business in a way you can't feel it in a bigger business. And so while they are juggernauts, it's you're also asked to prove it sometimes. Yeah. And it's hard to do. Yeah, yeah, sometimes it definitely is. Step over the line and just believe. And, it definitely and, is. I mean, that, that's, again, that's just what I've been experiencing lately where you're saying we're here to change consideration about hospitality and it's a long-term game. And then the only KPI that people can measure really is applications that came in. And it's like, well, it took Volvo years yeah. to get across that they're about safety. It didn't affect car sales year one, no. you know? So it's it's that you're battling with, you know, where you, you know, quite rightly, people more than ever want to see an ROI. But at the same time, there's some things that you're kind of putting away for the future, you know, and you're just putting away your savings for, for longer term. Well, I, th so, I think the investors... You know, there is now clearly a difference between a, um, a, a the Im investments that can demonstrate ESG and return. Mm -hmm. They are higher rated than those that can just demonstrate a return. What's ESG just for anyone? Um, environmental, social, government. So it's the way of saying, uh, well, CSR is the corporate social responsibility. Yeah. Um, it's the way of saying doing the right thing by people and planet. Um, and so I, I think the investors are starting to know that they can get a better rating if they can genuinely demonstrate it. And they're starting to say a tick box isn't good enough anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, I want, you know, what has that? They'll dig deeper into the projects and say, and what has that project actually demonstrated? It's just, you know, you can't just say you're doing something fluffy yeah well it's quite it's quite funny though because i remember from my brand teachings from from robert bean we talked about on the p l brand used to be written down as goodwill yeah and you wonder if it's at that stage a little bit at the moment that you know it's in that box that you can't show the return exactly but definitely there should be a column for it you know as you're saying if you show that to an investor that you are doing things for the planet surely that must make you more attractive yeah surely it it will, but it's got. But at the moment, it's the uh, investor community is split between whether you think you ought to be wholly wedded to ESG yeah. um, rating, or you should be wedded to re you know, purely investor returns. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and and that is interesting because as more and more of the young take pensions, certainly my son has just taken an ESG. He won't. He won't go into the non-ESG rated yeah. pension. And, and it will just gradually flow that way, Yeah, I yeah. believe. Makes sense. Well, a couple of other things then. Uh, where with the After Clouds Foundation, is there any way that people can get involved? Uh, well, uh, yes. <laughs> but I'm not sure yet. So, uh, yes, you can always come to Kenya with me and, and come and see my herd of cows. That's an offer. Uh, which are rewilding the Kenyan things. And yes, if you want to talk about how we convince the teams in hospitality to value um, 
employers and understanding of uh, planet and social um, social uh, projects, then I would love to hear from you because I think there should be a way junior managers, chefs, GMs can get that information in a way that we we can um, that can be shared right around the right around the hospitality industry. Well, we'll put your email in the in the notes and all the rest of it. Right. So, a couple of other things then were state of the hospitality industry. So, came out of the C word um, that we've talked about um, over and over and over. Um, but good just to talk about what's going on right now in the hospitality sector. So, all the challenges. What are you seeing as a as an industry veteran and expert? What are you seeing? Um, I'm seeing that the cost challenges are immense, um, and therefore the pricing challenges are, I think, really challenging because you know you you know can the can the consumer can the guest carry on paying five percent ten percent price rises every year? I think it's going to be really hard to sustain that um, as they still have a they have a mortgages to pay off and pay is rising now good mm. um, but it's not rising quite as fast as our prices are yeah and um, if, if you were in peach right now you know what where, where would you be worried about you know so i mean the most meetings i'm in at the moment all the talks about lunches are just literally off the table um and people trading to weekends and going out yeah. No fewer times, so it's... Uh, it's yeah, they're trading towards premium. Peach is, uh, this is always part of the theory, by the way, pensioners are rich and they're going to carry on being rich until we tax them appropriately, which maybe we should one day. Um, but so the pensioners are a safe community for hospitality to go after um, because they've got they've got the money and it's not being taken away from them. Um, the... Uh, premiumization gradually those people drink less gradually because they get older and people generally are drinking less and premiumizing so this sort of it's a, just a premiumization of moment isn't it is people will spend their moment uh, less frequently during the month but probably with more money and a bigger moment um, can we as an industry take as much money off off them as we used to I don't know. Only if you're good at it. Yeah. <laughs> you can't be average, can you? Yeah. Well, <laughs> when it's so tough. I mean, just choosing one moment a month to go out. Yeah. Uh, you, if you're average, you you buggered because they're going to go to the best place that they know. Well, it does feel like the middle is going to get squeezed, doesn't it? And yeah. you know, QSRs running away with it. People will still who've you know are bulletproof and have got the money will still go to the the finer places. But that middle, you know, chain restaurants, that kind of thing. I, definitely worried for a lot of them yeah definitely and and therefore it comes back to extraordinary service doesn't it yeah. and extraordinary service means extraordinary teams and commitment and uh, all of that stuff and that's where i think purpose-led stuff it comes back to is that you're going to have to create something out of nothing uh and make experience extraordinary definitely has there been it golfing it, it means yeah uh, human interactions yeah yeah no definitely i mean i think it's always got to be a, a good experience whether it is you know touch screen qsr quick in and out that's you know one level but as you say not everything's you know swingers and flight club and, and all the rest of it either but it's just having a good experience and there's been a couple of times of late in brighton you know really been knocked 
knocked bandy in terms of the the service and and also the generosity of portion because you know in your head at the moment everyone's trying to calculate ingredients down and you know and make the gp and all the rest of it but when people are actually going all in you sort yeah. of want to reward them for that you know yeah. um having more staff on them being friendly you know i went to a sushi place and literally the the nigiri the the uh, salmon was wrapped right the way around it. You know, it wasn't a wee Mohican thing. You know, it was absolutely yeah. fantastic. So yeah. things like that. Is there any sort of innovations or trends in hospitality that are exciting you that you've seen? Uh, now I look up. Nothing. Nothing stand out this year. Um, I, I don't think. I think. I think there isn't. I mean, you could say the experiential stuff is going to be really interesting, it, particularly if people get it right in a. Mm. In a uh, you know, uh, well, Punch is doing some really good stuff with Lane, mm. um, and if you make it, if you make it just part of the pub experience, then maybe that will help um, pubs come alive. Yeah, work out how to do it in smaller pubs, smaller footprint pubs. So, you know, making pubs extraordinary is is you know what I guess my passion would be. Can how can we find a way that people will come in at lunch, coffee? whatever and keep the pubs alive yeah yeah if we don't and there are there are some yeah good smaller examples of that but i, I haven't seen anything that's stand there that i would remark on today get your wallet get your wallet out for um can yeah. can we expect you back then can we expect you back to make pubs great again the old trump thing yeah <laughs> no i will i will definitely still be getting trying to get pubs uh, it, it's one of it's something I'm passionate about. It is. I, I believe the pub is here to stay. I believe it should be here today for future generations. And yet, it's it's going to be hard. The economics are becoming tougher and tougher. So, one way or another, I don't think I'll be starting another pub company if that's what you're asking. But helping helping others, yeah, I'll be, I'll be doing that, yeah. trying to help others make it successful. No, that would be great because yeah, you're you're missed. I know you're not far away, but you're missed. You know. <laughs> We'd like to have you back, please. Um, so last couple of things then were, well, really just peddling for pubs. So you're embarking on that? Uh, well, no, I did it last year, actually. Oh, you did it last year? I thought it was this yeah. year you were doing it. Oh, congratulations. No, no, I did it last year. Ah, raised bad research from me. Extraordinary amount of money. I've never, I mean, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience for me. It they raised, what, what did they raise? 500 and... Very nearly 500, yeah. Yeah, absolutely uh, brilliant. Which, um, Katie Moses, who set it up, is extraordinary. She's a dynamite, uh, yeah. But, but the, and then the troops, the gang she's got around her are absolutely wonderful, mm -hmm. pulling it all together, including the two charities. Um, and I, th I think we've, yeah, she's created a bit of a monster. So yeah. I'm definitely going, I, Last year, did it? We went across Sri Lanka. This year, we're riding to the uh, Mara farm, the Mara uh, uh, Conservancy. We end up in the Conservancy that I uh, I go to. Oh, so fantastic! We're doing Kenya, uh, and we will ride in. It'll be much harder, I think, than Sri Lanka, uh, because <laughs> what Katie hasn't realised is that it's rocky roads. And There's no, the, yeah, and we're at six thousand feet height. So we're at altitude, uh, riding rocky roads with lions attacking you. So if anyone survives, 
<laughs> It'll be a miracle. You'll be on the menu. <laughs> if, you get, if you get left behind <laughs> on this one on the road, you're not going to do oh that. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, that's ex well, that you should raise extra funds for that, some danger money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I've got what I've got to do in my fundraising attempts. I've got to explain the, the jeopardy we're all in. As we set off, can we make this a game show? We surely we should stream this yeah, on yeah, Netflix, yeah. like yeah, new Squid Game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See who, yeah, who bet on who drops off the end of which animal they have been headbutted by. Oh my god! I mean that that's going to be fun. well. Funnily enough, I was listening to a, a Gary Lineker, Alan Shearer podcast the other day, and they were saying one of the worst things I've had to do is play football at nine thousand feet. Yeah. So you're not far off. No, the difference is I, I practiced up there for Sri Lanka and uh, it was really, really hard because I go and cycle out to my cows who are uh -huh. in this conservancy, but you can't get there. And I have to go with a guide because they get really worried for me cycling on my own through buffalo and lion and stuff. Yeah. So, so the guide comes <laughs> and as I run out of path, he gets more and more nervous. <laughs> <laughs> and then he calls in the jeep. Oh, Christ. I get saved. <laughs> because you're a stationary target. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh, God. Um, and then anything else on Net Zero? Um, and, and Net what Zero, you're doing we, there? I, I, yeah, I haven't talked about that. We, we did a fantastic collaboration between about 20, 25 suppliers and about five gastro pub companies, and it ended up presenting to about 30 of the top pub and restaurant and hotel businesses. And there's a fantastic report on the um, After the Clouds website uh, that is 60 pages, if you want to read that much, on how to do net zero, what challenges we face right now. And there's a summary report for those of you who've only got six pages in them. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was really, really interesting working out what everyone thought their challenges were coming up with some of the solutions that might help them because everyone was sharing what they've done. And I really hope people get to read the report, particularly if they're in, uh, if they're leads in, in net zero or, or in um, sustainability um, or CEOs, because both need to understand what we've got to do. And we are going to do this. We, we have got to save this world. So we better start going towards net zero as fast as we can. And, and some of the great businesses will be there uh, a decade before others. Yeah. And they will not. I don't believe it will cost them anything, ultimately, because the, the tax on not doing this is going to be pretty extreme by the 2030s. Are you going to be talking about this at um, the Peach Conference uh, in November? Have you got any speaking slots about it coming up? I haven't, but I've, yeah. I've certainly talked about it before, and I will yeah. talk about it with anyone. Yeah. Um, but I think the the um, the challenge we've got to do is get what we were talking about before in sustainability is in that zero is exactly the same thing. You've got to get investors, CEOs, and um, uh, executives and team all understanding what we've got to do. Yeah, and understand that this isn't going away we, we we've just seen another summer going to record temperatures in turkey or whatever mm -hmm. um we will soon get people coming from africa because they can't live there yeah. because the food drought the droughts will start being even worse and we have to as a community we we in, in the 
in England have to be one of the first to go because we've actually got a stable climate. We can afford to make a difference. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll put details about how to get in touch with you. And also, I just think when you've presented on it and I've seen it and, and been interviewed about it and all these things, it's been fascinating. So I would like really encourage anyone to get you along to talk about this because it's yeah. not top of well, everyone's list, um, but it should, I, be, should be near the I'll top. I'll talk to anyone for it. <laughs> it's not, not a chargeable service at all. I, I do it because I believe in it and yeah. I want to help businesses yeah. make a difference. That's fantastic. And, you know, going from being, you know, business leader, um, you know, entrepreneur to this new life of philanthropy and advising, I, I think it's fantastic, Hamish. It was just, you know, a natural move for you. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> so a, a couple of wee final things then, just some fun questions. So um, mark out a 10 questions. A favourite city to eat in? Uh, it has to be London. I still think it's uh, best in the world for me. I understand it. I know where to go. I can get awesome food. And my wife lives there two days a week and she, she goes to a new place every week. Oh, wow. So, I just I just choose the best of them. Yeah, great. And then, have you got a favourite hotel? Uh, yeah, the Pig in Brockenhurst. Pig has all the, uh, the Pig hotels have all the ethics that I believe in. It's that relaxed, premium luxury that I love to indulge in. Uh, it's a beautiful place. Yeah, no, Robin and the guys have done a great job. Um, favourite coffee shop? Yes, um, I'm gonna. This, this you may not agree with this one okay. because. Uh, so I have a fresh orange, a flat white, and a glass of water at Soho Farmhouse, probably about three times a week after my gym, and I sit there and I read the paper and and explore what you know what's going on in the world, um, and it's become a really the team there are really delightful, yeah. and it's become my favourite coffee shop. Great. Well, yeah. Well, the the, the guys will be you pleased to hear that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm a member now, but I wasn't back then. <laughs> I wasn't back then. Um, no, they've got one in Brighton now, so um, yeah, okay, I've got one along yeah. the road. So yeah, it's uh, it's ideal. But um, yeah, right. Favorite bar and no self nominations, but yeah, favorite bar. No, no self nomination. Yeah, uh, no, Cristinal and Gradinata. So okay. you don't know where that is? No, that's in, that's in Mahon in Menorca. Oh, the prize for selling peach was a was a townhouse in Mahon, and literally on the back of that townhouse is this unbelievably brilliant little bar that has just got everything right. It's real, it's local, it's the music vibe is cool. The beer I mean, in Spain, you spend two euros on a beer. Oh, I know, I know. And the sandwiches are two euros fifty, and. The seats are comfortable, and the and the giggling and the uh, community is wonderful. Yeah. It's just the perfect bar. I've, ne and, I've never found a better one. And what was the name again? Cristinal and Gradinata. Okay, cool. And then last one, favourite restaurant? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go. In the moment, I take people to the Wigmore, 15 okay. place uh, underneath the Langham Hotel, um, and the Thatch Tame because it never goes wrong. And what what would you eat there? What's your what's your choice uh, they've got this the, the wigmore they've got this spiky what is it it's a spiky like a spiky meat uh no sausage roll it's okay. weird proper it's sort of gastro pub food but it's the chef is is very good and uh they've come up with some really interesting ideas in their favorites um there's, there's that so always have that off their starters or small bites menu mm -hmm. 
And sorry, I forgot to ask, what's your poison when you go to your favourite bar? A beast of clitter. Right, what's that? I don't even know what that is. You're too posh for me. A what? <laughs> it's Campari. Uh-huh. I do it with a, a shot of grapefruit juice, Campari and wine topped up with soda. Very good. It's a Campari version of a Campari spritz, really. Nice. Well, I'm always educated when I talk to you. Um, and then, so very last thing before we go, what's next for you? What's next? I, I think it is to work out. I've I've been lucky enough to have nine months since we sold, starting to get my head clear. And it's finding it's finding out what the program is that I, I can really get uh, excited about and passionate about. So it, I, it's TBA. I love doing my non-exec stuff. So yeah, invite me to be a non-exec. Yep. Dip. Well, there we go, and I'll put I'll put the I'll put the day rates and the and the email address on there. <laughs> we've got it. We've, we've got a house uh, a house in Spain to pay for, right? Okay. Well, listen. Thanks so much, Amy. It's so nice to see you. It's been too long, anyway. Yeah. Um, and uh, please give my love to Joe, and um, we'll catch up at some yeah, point no, soon. Well, I'll, I'll be coming down to Brighton shortly, so I'll, oh I'll great, oh do please do. Thanks so much, Hamish. <laughs> All right. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. So there we go, a fantastic episode with Hamish Stoddart, who's the co-founder of Peach Pubs and the founder MD of Afterclouds Foundation and also leading the way to get to that race or win the race to net zero. If you want to get in touch with Hamish, I'll put his details in the podcast notes. Always great to catch up with him, always a joy and I consider myself really lucky that I got to work with him Joe and the Peach team across the years to make life peachy. This podcast is sponsored by Vita Mojo, the all-in-one restaurant management platform helping operators grow ATV, reduce tech complexity and serve guests better. Just visit vitamojo.com forward slash supersonic and get in touch with the team right away. That's vitamojo.com forward slash supersonic. So this is me, Mark McSee, signing off for another podcast and I'm really looking forward to the next time we're together. Next time, we'll hear from many, many more interesting people with top tips, tricks and tales that will make your brand boom.